The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. By February 1st of the following year, so 1938, Tolkien has finished version number four in which Bingo is now Bingo Bulger Baggins. Nope. 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 Hard pass. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig, your host. And over there, she's so pathetic. I often find her outside the studio sniffing after her lost jewelry. It's Megan Smythe. It was really nice jewelry. Mm -hmm. Very powerful stuff. Uh, and he's been long expecting a party, but no one will throw one for the poor guy. It's Kyle Lemon. Just a pants party. <laughs> <laughs> and he wishes he were more like the ring, so someone would finally call him precious. It's Ryan Bruckman. Oh, this coming from the man who's as warm as a barrel white. <laughs> Very nice. All right. So today we are discussing Lord of the Rings. If that was not clear from the insult, I am so excited for this. This is kind of getting back to our roots. Ryan, this is the first thing we ever talked about together on the podcast. Yep. So technically we had some lost episodes where we uh, reviewed the very first Hobbit movie, I think. Right? Uh, There might have been. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. 200, 200 some odd episodes in. Uh, you think we might have grown a little bit. You still don't you do this wrong. with pants on, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so today we are talking about book one of The Lord of the Rings. Now, for those uh, who, you know, didn't pay super close attention when they read it, there Me. are, in fact, six books in The Lord <laughs> of the Rings. And so we are doing six episodes, one for each book. Um, so there are two books in each volume of The Lord of the Rings. And today we're in book one of the fellowship of the ring so which is called what which is called why don't you tell us kyle you you, you, you looked it up earlier today and uh, you were very proud of yourself for finding that the answer. ring sets out the ring sets out so we are uh yeah we're, we're going to be talking about that this takes us up through the ford of bruinen so if you have not read the lord of the rings we're going to kind of assume that you have done so in its entirety uh, we will spoil liberally. This is a read through, but it's a read through. I think meant for those who have already read through. Um, this is all. You have to spoiler alert a book. I know this. You know, and has a movie series and everything. I wouldn't think so, but if I didn't do it, somebody would get mad. No. Okay. Right. You know it would happen. It doesn't hurt to say it out loud. We're gonna spoil pretty much everything. Frodo is Jesus. Also, Aragorn is Jesus. <laughs> So, all Wait, of our good guys what? are Jesus. <laughs> we'll get yeah. there. Uh, here's what you can expect: we are going to talk about the Lord of the Rings in kind of legendary fashion, which is something we have developed a little bit more over the last six years since we read the Lord of the Rings the first time. Uh, Emphasis so, on little bit, exactly. So we are only doing six episodes. You could do six episodes just on book one. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to get into the little teeny minutia. And so if you're looking for that, there are tons of amazing podcasts that I can point you toward. But this one will simply be, uh, you know, a, a fresh, different perspective on the book from some 
uh, people who are joining us now this time, you know, Megan and, and uh, Kyle weren't with us the first time. So, And if listening to this gives you the urge to go back and listen to our original, don't. Don't. <laughs> Just, I don't know. I went back and listened to one of the episodes because I really wanted to know what you thought about Tom Bombadil that first time. I, I was wondering why the blood was dripping from your ear. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a rough day, you guys. What did you think of those the, that original series? Uh, I thought it was highly entertaining. It was it was fun listening to you guys be all fresh and young and the whole Professor Greg we Hanks we were. telling all of the, what with all of your <laughs> trivia, uh, some of which I knew. Speaking of which, Rocky Ramboa 8 on Reddit. That's a Reddit user. Uh, by the way, you can join the conversation at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Uh, Rocky Ramboa says, honestly, I think you should do an episode for each chapter with a 111 question quiz in each <laughs> Bonus episodes for discussion of every song and an in-depth look at the appendices and an episode of Ken reading every line of the index. So, no. That'll, we'll do that'll that. be the next read-through. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that as a uh, Patreon exclusive. Exactly. <laughs> Ken reads the index. You know what? People would pay. Support the show on Patreon. All right. So, shall we get into it? That's yes. quite enough throat clearing uh, for now. I do have a recap for you. Uh, I decided to do it a little bit differently than normal. I wrote poetry. We'll be the judge of that. Okay. <laughs> I wrote poetry in less than 30 minutes. There was an old hobbit who lived in a hole. <laughs> okay, so it, but it's poetry and not a song. Uh, you, can, you can set it to music. If someone would like to pull this audio auto-tune and auto-tune it, <laughs> I, oh, I will air that. <laughs> I will for sure air that. If you can somehow auto-tune this, and set it to, you know, uh, the Shire music from Howard Shore or something like that. <laughs> okay, are you ready? I hope, dear reader, that you are hardy and that you don't mind getting stuck like a hare in a briar because although we begin with a real fun party, it's over 100 pages just to leave the damn Shire. Then, again, it takes some real time and a whole lot of grit to get through old Jolly Tom's rhyming and song. But if you nurse your pint and wait just a bit, we meet Strider for a shortcut that, yeah, still feels awful long. But finally we arrive at the crux of book one with the hobbits all huddled atop Amon Sul. And dear Mr. Frodo, well, looks like he's done because he just got run through by the blade of some ghoul. And now it's a race. The pace finally will quicken as Glorfindel rides like the wind to the ford. And Frodo with the ring continues to sicken, but arrives at the last and becomes Elrond's ward. Now someone wake Frodo, get him off his gurney. We've got a ways to go yet on this epic journey. And don't count on old Tom or some eagle's wing, because we're hoofing it the long way to get rid of this ring. <laughs> nice, no, Jorb. No. Right. Yeah. I, uh, Screw you guys. That was majestic. <laughs> that was fun. You would win a reflections contest. <laughs> <laughs> Honorable mention at least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, not, not sending me to districts, right? Yeah. My favorite part oh, is just good. how much you enjoyed doing that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, um, it was after eleven thirty. Mm. I won't say what substances I had uh, coursing through my veins at that point, but uh, anyway, it Cheeto was dust, <laughs> mostly Cheetos. <laughs> I appreciated the flex on using the term Amonsul instead of Weathertop. Well, it just it rhymed better with ghoul. With ghoul, yes. Because nothing <laughs> rhymes with top at all. <laughs> nothing. Uh, okay, so shall we talk about the Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay. Sure. Ryan, why don't you kick us off? All right, this is uh, this is our old stomping grounds. How do you feel about your second read through? Uh, actually, uh, I am grateful for the years of reading other fantasy and and having to think about it a little bit more critically. 
uh, because this time around, I felt like I actually knew what I was doing a little bit more in the read, and it was a little bit easier to, to follow. Okay. Um, I actually, to start with, used this as an exercise, uh, the reading. Uh, I would read it out loud for a little while um, because especially the beginning in the Shire, if you give yourself just a little bit of a, an, a British country accent or whatever, well, it becomes the funnest thing to read out let's loud. Let's hear it. Well, I need some of the text if you want to do okay that. yeah no that's uh, i'll give you my poem if you want <laughs> <laughs> when mr bilbo baggins of bag end announced that he would be shortly celebrating his 11th birthday okay a... that's yeah <laughs> I, re I regret asking <laughs> there was much talk and excitement in hobbiton uh, is that okay that should just be the whole episode let's just have ryan read the whole book just at the beginning it was just one of those things that i i don't remember if we talked about it before but i actually my initial read through of this back forever ago, it still felt kind of heavy. Just the language was a bit heavy. For me. Yeah. Uh, this time it didn't feel quite as heavy. Is that just because you felt prepared for it, or a do little you more think prepared you've gotten for it. better at reading? I've yeah. gotten better at reading. There's there's no doubt that I've gotten better at reading. My judgment hasn't changed, but my my ability to read has. Um, but it it made me feel like oh I I could see this story even though it's not, being shared in the old oral tradition. Sure. A storyteller piece here. Um, so I, I just wanted to get a feel like, would this, would this work that way? Yeah. Um, I actually am not listening to this on audiobook, which is pretty rare for me. Uh, so I wasn't getting someone else's performance. I was only getting my own. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was really great. Yes. Really great. It is great. You can, you can deal with it. Um, but I, I, it was enjoyable to step back in and, uh, and experience it slightly different um, just by approaching it in a different way the first time. Right. Kyle, Megan, is this a first read for either of you? No, but no. it's the first one in probably 15 years. Okay. So it's been, it's been a hot minute. Yeah. Megan, Ditto. what about you? Ditto. I read it before every movie came out back in the early 2000s, but I don't think I've read it since then. Okay. All right. Yeah. The movies kicked it off for me. Yeah, um, me too. I saw the movies first and then read the books. And, and I'm one of those people who I I have not read it every year, but the number of times I have reread it could equal that number of years. So, uh, so I, yeah, I've read it, read it quite a few times since then, and I'm eager to get talking about it. But again, we're not going through kind of the minutia. We're not going chapter by chapter. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of kick it to you guys first to talk about whatever it is that you wanted to talk about. Anything that stuck out to you from this book one that either surprised you or delighted you uh, on this read through and feel free to compare it to other books or just stick within the Lord of the Rings itself as you talk about it. Uh, one of the things that I went into this reading with, I actually hadn't thought about what you brought up earlier where it was like, hey, the Lord of the Rings is actually six books. Right. So when you had mentioned that, when you talked about, when we were talking about scheduling out these podcasts and saying, well, we're going to do book one, then three, four, five, six, you know, all the way through. And I was like, wait, hang on. And then we were talking about the fact that it's six books. I wanted to tackle it from that viewpoint because I wanted to read it as if this, if book one is a book, what is the arc of book one? Oh, interesting. And so it was, it was pretty fun to read through that to see like, yeah, I mean, according to your poem, it takes us forever to get out of the Shire. And it, you know, for an entire book uh, or for the whole trilogy or the entire Lord of the Rings story, that is a really good intro and it's a very lengthy intro. But if you 
put that portion of the book for just this book one, it's a lot. Um, but I don't think that it takes away from the overall arc of just this singular book. Because so what do you mean by that? I think that you're you're setting the stage for obviously a larger story, but mm-hmm. you get a lot of interaction with the hobbits. You there's the thing that stood out to me the most with the hobbits early on is how uh, incompetent they are, and just it just feels like they don't they can't make decisions. I felt like Gandalf seems pretty negligent in a lot of ways. <laughs> now that I know, like I know what's going on. You're like this is literally uh, the fate of the like, world. Yeah, what are you doing, bro? Uh, but you get a lot of really cool character moments. Um, and so it's a really enjoyable story. Even if you don't leave the Shire, there's a lot to just look around and enjoy. Um, but then when you're going through and like you're, you're getting to Tom Bombadil and then you get through in and, debris and, and you have the ring race. And that, that's basically your climax of this book, right? Is when you have the Nazgul show up, and they're they're with Strider, and Strider kind of separates them. That is your climax of this book, and then it kind of tapers off, and you're, they're headed back to or they're headed in towards Rivendell. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at that as like that's your climax, it's a pretty cool story arc if you if you zoom in on just this section. Okay, so all right, that is interesting that you bring that up because uh, another Reddit user Edog4 says something I noticed on my recent read is how utterly incompetent the hobbits are at the start of fellowship. <laughs> right. I think it's worth talking about because it's pretty hilarious and, and an awesome contrast to who they are at the end of the story. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to who they are at the end of the story, but uh, yeah, I do really like kind of there's, there, there's a lot to talk about with what it means that the high, that the hobbits are leaving the Shire and entering the, the world of fairy and, you know, that'll be a point that I think will be a bit of a repeat from what we talked about in that initial read through. But I, I will want to talk about that. Uh, but, yeah, the, the hobbits, they're incompetent because they are modern and they don't understand this this dangerous world that they're kind of being thrust into. And so what feels like incompetence is inexperience essentially Mm -hmm. and by the time they get to the end of the story they're going to be very experienced which is why i think we spend so much time in the shire honestly to to really drive home who these hobbits are you have to understand what they're leaving and what they were raised in in order to understand how big of an undertaking this actually is Mm -hmm. right well and i kind of looked at it from an opposite point of view with kyle where i was really looking at at this as this is the first chunk of a really big story and here we're seeing the shire as it is right now and knowing how it's going to end um, in the is it the scouring of the Shire, yeah. um, we need to see what it's like and how much they love this place and how wonderful the people are there. And I actually had a different point of view where I didn't think everybody was that incompetent. They're, they're thrown into a situation that they're not really prepared for, but that isn't necessarily their fault because most of the evil that comes to them is because of the ring. So most people leaving the Shire wouldn't have those kind of problems. They'd go to Bree and they'd be just fine. But it, it's interesting. I mean, they start out, um, Frodo is moving to Brandywine. Yeah, he's moving to Crick Hollow. Um, and he sends Mary on ahead of time. And Mary is a lot smarter than I expected him to be. I, I very much have the movie versions of these characters in my head where Mary and Pippin are both, <laughs> dot, 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 you know, just Doltish. really ridiculous. Um, but they they have a whole conversation when they're at Farmer Maggot's. Um, where no it's when they get to crick hollow and frodo is ready to tell them okay 
I have to leave you guys. And they're like, so when are you going to tell us that you're leaving? Because you're not actually that subtle and we're slightly smarter than you think we are. And Sam is very capable. He's not a fighter necessarily, but he's very smart. And he knows a lot of things that a lot of people wouldn't expect from him. Yeah. And I, so I don't think they're completely incompetent. They're, they don't know what they're doing in this circumstance, but I don't know that anybody necessarily would unless they were fully prepared, like maybe Gandalf, maybe Aragorn. No, absolutely. I think you're, yeah. I think you're onto something there. Um, but even then Gandalf is like, I'm going to leave this what with are you doing, man. Like he, he knows what the ring is. Yeah. And then he just bails, you know? <laughs> and like, I get that he's, he's got important business and he's off doing his thing. But like, if you have the one ring, are you really just going to leave? Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So let's think about it from Gandalf's perspective. He now knows. Well, okay. At the beginning of the story, chapter one, he has suspicions, but he doesn't know for right. sure. And then 17 years later, he figures <laughs> it out. 17 years <laughs> later. There's something they don't tell you in the movie. So he goes off and confirms. Yes. Yeah, 17 years later, he comes back and he's like, yep, turns out mm-hmm. that's the one ring. If I were Gandalf and I were sneaky and I were, you know, getting all my wily strategery going, you think about it for a second. What's the one thing you could do to, you know, if you suspect that this is the one ring, the one thing you could do to tip off the enemy that something huge is going down in this Shire is to stay there and call Aragorn and all the rangers and call in the reinforcement from the elves and, hey, everybody get over here. We need to protect this ring. Uh, right. And so if he were to pay too much attention to it, that, you know, but, strategically but might does, be a blunder. But he does the exact opposite of that, and he leaves Frodo behind by himself with the ring, which I feel like there's a there's a middle ground there somewhere. I don't know. I just, where I guess... like, you're not calling in all the reinforcements, <laughs> but maybe you, the, white, the, the gray wizard, stay with him at least to get him off on this journey. You've read The Hobbit. Gandalf, I, Gandalf knows. He's flighty. Gandalf he likes to abandon knows people to their that adventures. the hobbits are capable of more than they give themselves credit for, and than right. other people give themselves credit for. But we're talking about the One Ring. We're not talking about you know Bilbo holding his own with some dwarves. Why are we getting bogged down on this? This feels weird. Well, and poor Frodo tries to offer Gandalf the ring at one point, and say, "Just take it. You can keep it safe." And Gandalf's like, eh, "That's." I don't want that. <laughs> um, I give this to you. It's your ring. Peace out. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a good uh, representation of his character. And we do this with all of the major power players is they have their moment with the ring mm-hmm. to say, you know, whether or not they're going to take it because it's, it's ultimate draw is use me, mm-hmm. use me and I will give you the power to, to do whatever to you do whatever think you, is right. Yeah. Um, ultimately, with the whole purpose of just getting noticed by Sauron and brought back. Mm-hmm. So it obviously Gandalf is wise to reject it as will be those in some in the future who choose to do the same thing. Um, so I, it, I get the whole, I could Gandalf have like buried it in a hole or something or would somebody right. else have just come and found it type thing. No, I mean, not but, that, that's not that, but like he just leaves. Okay. Fix the story, Kyle, fix it. Don't fall into this trap. I did it in one of our early episodes and he immediately started snoring. Cut it off. Yeah, I won't fall into your trap. Well, then don't dig yourself into it. I'm I'm not digging myself in. I'm just commenting <laughs> that there seems to be a different 
path that so, Gandalf so would have taken. So you're saying he should have called in the eagles to pick up Frodo? Not necessarily. Oh, dear God. What is <laughs> happening right now? Are we really, are we really like rewriting the Lord of the Rings? I'm simply, I'm simply commenting that at the first part of this story, we talk about the incompetence of the hobbits. Gandalf himself has a story arc through the whole story. Maybe he hasn't made all the right perfect decisions throughout. He could have made different decisions. It still works out in the end, and that's fine. But Gandalf himself doesn't make all the right decisions. Well, but at this point, we don't know what Gandalf is doing. We don't. Well, we do. I mean, we know that he left Frodo. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But if you're looking at it, this says this is its own book. You don't know what Gandalf is doing. She just murdered you. She just murdered you right in the face. In the face? Yeah. Right here. Shoot, it was a good face. Because Gandalf is going, He's it's research, basically, right? Right. He's, yeah, he's going to Minas Tirith to check the records, okay. among yeah, other things. Yeah, that's not a great reason. Well, let's think, like, I just I look at and, that and oh, go. Okay, all right. It's his reason. He's allowed stop, his reason. Stop, stop, stop. <sighs> you can't throw. Here's where Gandalf throw goes for Frodo 17 years. on the years. back of your horse. He, oh, my <laughs> Just shut the <laughs> up. All right. Craig said a bad word. 17 years, Gandalf is out on the road. What is he doing? Okay, he goes to Minas Tirith, he checks the records, he finds the account of Isildur to find out, uh, you know, his mm-hmm. account of finding the ring, what the ring looks like, its its uh, characteristics, etc. He traces the movements of the ring and finds out uh, that, you know, he realizes, okay, Gollum found the ring from, or sorry, Bilbo found the ring in Gollum's cave, I need to track down Gollum. He recruits Aragorn to the task, Aragorn helps him hunt down Gollum, he interrogates Gollum in... Mirkwood and you know there's there is more stuff going on than Gandalf just like reading a book and then heading back that doesn't take him 17 years it takes him 17 years to piece together the story of Which what Aragorn, happened Aragorn does what happened allude to, to Aragorn mentions that a little bit didn't he help to find Gollum yeah and and find mm-hmm. out oh Gollum was taken to Mordor and mm-hmm. has told everybody about the Baggins and that's for me that's that's a timeline thing that I'm kind of curious about is because that reveal that Gollum has uh, tells about Bilbo and the Shire, and the return and say, okay, now we need to get, we need to move the ring, we need to get Frodo going, we need to go do this. Like I, that's a timeline thing that I would, I wish I knew better, right? Because wh- how long was it before from the time that Gollum was caught to the time that they came to find, they came to the Shire to find the hobbits? They, they being the Nazgul. Oh, I, I'm not sure. This is one of those stories, though, I, you know, reading through it, there's a lot in there that I don't necessarily understand why it's in there. I personally think Tom Bombadil is really super annoying. So this time I was reading through it thinking, okay, why is this character in here? Why would he include this in this story? It is a very epic story. There's a lot going on. Why does he stop to have Aragorn recite this song about Baron and Luthien? Like what mm-hmm. is, you know, and it, it yeah. helps having an idea of where the story is going, but he really does want to create a larger world and help to right. create for the hobbits and through the hobbit's eyes, us, he also how creates, large this world yeah, really is. He also creates a plot hole with Tom Bombadil that he then f- fixes in the Council of Elrond. We haven't gotten to the Council of Elrond, but the whole idea that Tom Bombadil is not affected by the ring whatsoever, and then they kind of explain it away and say, like, well, he wouldn't care about it anyway, so he's not a he's not he's, someone that could protect it because he wouldn't care about it. He's the oldest living that. creature in Middle Earth, basically. Right. And in the old, the, honestly, you look at this and I kind of say, okay, I can see that, but the ultimate goal has never been to 
keep the ring. They realize right. that there is no choice. But to but protect we're it, we're getting right? way ahead of ourselves here. I so. know, but it is nice to have Tom in there a little bit, as you know, as we're talking about. The hobbits are really failing at getting through this wood and getting away from the Shire successfully. They know it's a good idea to stay away from the road. So they go into the forest. That turns out to be a terrible idea. Somebody needs to rescue them, and Sam can only do so much because mm-hmm. um, he's the only one that stays awake. And so they have somebody else who can kind of come in and help them out a little bit until they get to somebody else who can help them out. He's the Bayorn of bit. this story. He's the what? He's the Bayorn of this story. So that they, that's what they did in The Hobbit, right? That's that's the guy to with get all the, the forest. Yeah, so other. basically they're in trouble. Nobody can save them. They get to Bayorn, and he saves them. It's the same plot point Bayern doesn't save them as you say they, 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 they just they're dropped off him. by the eagles at Bayern's house they don't take refuge in his house they do they do but, but it's not him saving them. he doesn't save mm-hmm. them all right how about we get to one of the other reddit comments um we've already kind of addressed wombat weir who said what do you think of the pacing of the first half of the fellowship did you enjoy your time in the shire we kind of talked about you know a little bit about uh enjoying our time in the shire i suppose there's Actually, a purpose to it. Yes. I think Bilbo is delightful. Every I, I kind of feel like Bilbo is sort of the stand-in for J.R.R. Tolkien, where he's like, and I'm going to start the story like I am this character, and now I'm going to write all these notes to people and give them presents and be totally snarky about it. <laughs> I think that is really fun. There are a lot of stand-ins for Tolkien, right? Gandalf <laughs> is often in that role, maybe. Anyway, um, I people complain about the pacing and how long it takes to get out of the shire and i mean i made the joke about it at the beginning but um i think ryan you said something earlier about how we have to uh, we have to love what we're leaving behind and we can't do that in 20 pages we're yeah we especially as a modern audience get very used to getting very little information about or not having to deal with a whole lot of right and the author will say it's a great place and they're going to want to come back and that's the entirety you get right. for it <laughs> versus actually taking the time to build out a full society um, and one that's very representative of something personal to him. Uh, that's one thing uh, as I've been going through and I've been trying to be a little more scholarly and it will not work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but trying to be more aware of what things meant. Uh, I, I realized that so many aspects of Middle Earth in this story have connections to his personal life or to the things that he thought were important Uh to English culture or the mm-hmm. English civilization at the time. I, I feel like you have to spend that time in the Shire getting to know the hobbits and, and their culture and everything and sinking into it until you're familiar enough because throughout the rest of the story, they are going to make decisions based off of their personality, their upbringing, their culture. They are a distinct different race from dwarves and men and elves. And, you know, there is a reason that Frodo is the one that can carry the ring and not any of your other cast of characters. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that Samwise is the one to help Frodo. And it's be- part. It's in big part because of their hobbits and the Shire and where they're from. And so we have to take that time to slow down, to build that understanding, to c- make those connections in order for the story to, to really be able to be told it's true these become our point of view characters the people that we follow throughout we have a whole lot of characters that come in but we're pretty much always looking from the point of view of one of these hobbits and so we need to understand their point of view we need to love them and want to understand 
where they're coming from. It's it, We're going to get into a, plenty of chapters where they're not necessarily the point of view, but these are the characters that we're meant to understand. And relate to. Exactly, to relate to. Uh, so there's another uh, another comment from Murdstone, I guess, on uh, Reddit. Hey, Murdstone. Who says, I'm wondering if you could speak to the tonal change as the hobbits leave the Shire, if you feel there is one. Yes, there is one. Mm -hmm. Or alternatively, how the first section of book one still retains some of the whimsical writing of the Hobbit, which slowly fades away as the more quote unquote adult writing of Lord of the Rings takes over. And I think, yeah, this is very important to understand. And it kind of feeds into what you're talking about, Megan, where these are our, uh, these are the characters that we relate to as mm -hmm. we go through this story. Um, it's the genius of the Lord of the Rings well, it's in many, many things, <laughs> but what Tolkien did that was so, so smart, and it's very similar to what he did in The Hobbit, it was to take a character who was recognizable and thrust that character into situations and places that are unrecognizable mm -hmm. and see what he or they do in those situations. And so when we get The Hobbits, they are straight up 19th century English aristocrats. That yeah. is what they are. They might as well come out of a, the goofiest portion of a Jane Austen novel, right? Uh, and then they are thrown into a fairy tale. And there is a big tonal shift because of, uh, be, because of that change. It's, it, they have to leave home, right? Home is behind, the world ahead. Uh, and here they go on their adventure. They, yeah, there is a huge tonal shift. We talked about this in our original Lord of the Rings series that um, the the change, when they go from the Shire into the old forest and they meet Tom Bombadil and then they meet the Barrow White, the, the forest especially, I mean, if we can pause there for a second, the forest especially is very representative i think in tolkien's writing of I, and i mean not just his this is a very common motif in fairy tales oh, yeah. where you you've left the kind of friendly cultivated land that you grew up in that you're used to and you have to venture into the wild forest and this kind of represents fairy uh, and tolkien took the idea of leaving our world and traveling into fairy even as a reader he took that very seriously and it's a it's a dangerous thing. It's uh, it's a heavy thing to do. And so that tone, yeah, there's an immediate shift mm -hmm. when he starts writing about um, Old Man Willow. And then the tone shifts back pretty abruptly. We get to Tom Bombadil and, you know, because he gives you that little dose of there's a dangerous, dangerous world right over the border of your little shire that you love so much. Yeah. And then he just gives you a little taste of that. And then he pulls back and then we get Tom Bombadil and he's singing and he's dancing and everything is, uh, you know, happy and flowery and uh, they're goldberry e. And then he's going to show once again, as soon as you leave that refuge, the hobbits are thrown into the wild world again. And what happens? They immediately get uh, snagged by the Barrow White and the language immediately shifts again to this, you know, it's all about this old kingdom that fell long ago and... This uh, this old king that has been buried in this barrow and wants to reclaim the souls of lost little hobbits or whatever it is, you know, that tone shifts immediately. And then we get to Bree and we get to have another sigh of relief as mm -hmm. we get to something familiar that we understand, that we recognize. 
um, that that wayside inn, and then Aragorn is going to take us out and yeah. go on a longer adventure until we get to Rivendell. So we we're getting, uh, you know, a big long streak at the beginning of comfort, familiarity, home, mm-hmm. getting to know the hobbits, get a little taste of danger, and then a pretty long stay at Tom Bombadil's house, and then a little bit longer bit of danger and then you know if that makes sense so he's easing us in with these little steps along the way into the world of fairy i like the way you're describing this it it makes me think about how some people i will tell people that i read a lot of fantasy fiction or science fiction they're like i just i can't relate to that dragons aren't real they're not really you know talking trees there there aren't you know trees that are going to swallow me if i sit on the roots or whatever and I just think this is, I mean, it's allegorical. It, it represents something else. And I like the way you're describing this, where they come from a really comfortable place and they come after when they become adults. Because he talks about, oh, they're in their tweens where they're just kind of silly and now they're adults and he's 50 and he's basically like that is, you know, our, what, 21-ish. Right. And so it's it's when he's 21 that he leaves the Shire. And a lot of us will, as humans, will leave home at like, somewhere between 18 and 21 or earlier or later. I don't know. Everybody's different. But we go out into the world and it's not like home. And I guess I'm assuming that, you know, you grew up in a home where you felt warm and safe. But, you know, you go out into the world and the world is scary. And there are people that are not going to be nice. And, oh, you make a friend. Oh, and that's kind of nice. And, oh, you, you, you like your job. That's cool. But then things become uncomfortable in another way. And, oh, here's somebody who just robbed her. Like, there are so many things that we don't have control over. Yeah. And I like reading fantasy stories because you've you read about these characters these hobbits who are totally less prepared than they thought that they were but they're able to overcome these things and it's just a really nice way to be able to talk about those sort of situations and eventually they'll come back to the shire when we get to book six and they return to the shire and And they very different they have grown and they have learned and they've experienced and they see these other hobbits who have not and they Mm -hmm. have stayed um ignorant which in some ways is you know seems delightful <laughs> oh boy you know i'm sure the hobbits wish they could have stayed ignorant about a fair few things sure but um it's you know tolkien would want us to stay away, away from the word allegory but yeah. there there is something here where like you say it's all about growing up mm-hmm. it's about becoming an adult and learning to live in the wild scary world outside of whatever your safe refuge is for most of us it would be home for others it might be something else um but you have to learn to go out on your own and that was his idea of of what fairy is right. and we do we i think we all need the safe refuge we need to create that we all need our shire but if we never leave its borders if we never push ourselves, uh, experience new things, try new things, um, get into trouble, find danger, all of that. If we never do that, then, you know, we might be fat and happy and eat lots of nice food and grow old and die. It's but like you're not selling adventure very well here. But, <laughs> but you will be lacking something. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to go out and, and try something different and embrace the change. Well, yeah. and honestly... Sometimes there has to be a strong impetus to leave and make that change because the hobbits didn't leave because they wanted to. Right. There's a evil ring that they have to take somewhere else. That they have to destroy or, you know. You know, it's for the protection of the Shire, for a lot of reasons. They have to go. You have to go and grow up 
you have to do that sometimes. There is an impetus to it. Um, going willingly uh, along as someone like Samwise, or are you going as Mary and Pippin, who are kind of not in a way, like they're aware, but they're not maybe as aware of what they're carrying? Right. Or are you Frodo, the one who's having to carry the burden the whole time? Like, there's different perspectives you can grab onto in this journey into the forest to follow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, let's change gears a little bit. Kyle, I wanted to ask you about the poetry, the songs in this. And I know you and Megan both kind of came prepared to talk about that, but uh, this is something that you have mentioned in our Hobbit episodes mm -hmm. that you like. Right. And so I wanted to kick it to you first because a lot of people hate the songs. They skip the songs. They mm -hmm. think they're dumb and it interrupts my reading and all right. of this and stuff. So give me your take on the poetry. Um, I, I didn't pull any specific one for this for this episode, but just on a high level, I feel like you can take it either way. So I think if you're skipping it, you are, you're just missing out on another level of depth, whether it's the lightheartedness part of something like the, the moon, the moon song that, uh, that Frodo sings and, and recites the poem or something more in depth and, and deep, like, you are, it's kind of up to you whether or not you want to take it to that next level. So you can still experience Lord of the Rings, the plot, and get the story out of it if you're skipping all of these poetry or these poems and songs. But I think that it's, it's something that is um, core to the culture of these different peoples um, and, and the world that we're reading is their use of poetry and, and song. And we, we have that in our own day people, we have songs that we listen to on the radio. We have our favorite mm -hmm. songs. Everybody has, you know, it's, Oh, it's our song or it's our, you know, whatever. <laughs> and that's, that's, we have our nursery rhymes and that's what is building out the believability of this world is he's doing that through some of these songs and, and, and poems. And so just one more thing I, to flesh out that it's, this yeah, is it's flesh, a real it's, thing. The poems and the songs flesh out Middle-earth on the same level as the Elvish language fleshes it out or the Dwarven language fleshes it out. It's another layer to this world. And I don't ever plan on studying Elvish and understanding Elvish, and I'll skip right over that. But if I did, it gives me another layer into the world of Tolkien. But for the songs and the poems, for me, they're they're, they're, they're enjoyable, and they I, are I, a layer for you. Yeah, and if and we talked about this a little bit on the Hobbit episode, but he brings a poem through the Hobbit and then into the Lord of the Rings, and I think it actually he repeats it several times throughout the whole arc of the story, beginning with the Hobbit all the way through Return of the King, and I'll I'll prepare that a little bit more for another episode when we get there, but if. If you want it, there are through lines and there is a deeper understanding and experience to be had if you don't skip over those. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And Megan, there's a song that specifically kind of speaks to the point that you were just talking about a moment ago of, uh, you know, heading out into the wild world mm -hmm. and all of that. And it is in the chapter three is company and they are, uh, they're, they're singing a song that Bilbo Baggins had made the words to a tune oh, yeah. that was as old as the hills and taught it to Frodo as they walked in the lanes of the water valley. So this is one of uh, Frodo's walking songs or Bilbo's walking songs. And it, so just the last verse here, 
And this was, you may recognize this if you watch the movies. Uh, they grabbed a couple pieces of this for the song that Pippin sings to Denethor. Mm -hmm. uh, Home is behind, the world ahead, and there are many paths to tread through shadows to the edge of night until the stars are all alight. Then world behind and home ahead. We'll wander back to home and bed. Mist and twilight, cloud and shade, away shall fade, away shall fade. Fire and lamp and meat and bread, and then to bed, and then to bed. And it's uh, it kind of encapsulates just in the song. If you there if you, and back again, if you actually pay attention to the words, mm -hmm. it, it encapsulates the entire idea of the Hobbit and mm -hmm. this journey as well. We hope mm -hmm. as we're starting out on it. Anyway, Megan, what did you want to talk about with the songs? With the songs, I am I'm one of those people. I don't really enjoy the songs in the poetry most of the time. I'm not a poetry person. That was really hard for me as an English major in college. Um, and I, but I decided this time to look at the songs. To pay attention to who was singing what song and like what kind of song because i wanted to see how the how it represents how the characters change and grow throughout the series because the person who sings the most in this first book is frodo um and he sings a lot of different things most of them are inspired by bilbo but when they're in the forest um and it's everything's closing in on them and everybody's really scared frodo tries to sing to like buoy himself up mood. to buoy everybody else Poor Frodo has this weight on his shoulders, not only of the ring, but that his friends have come with him. And he's like, no, don't come with me. And they're like, we're coming. And so he just has this huge responsibility um, to make sure that they're okay. Like he very much wants to protect them. And they're all trying to protect him, but he's very much like, this is my journey. You don't have to come, but I'll try to make this as pleasant as possible. And he's trying to sing and it just fails. And then they all get, you know, it goes badly. But Frodo sings a lot during this first book. And I don't remember how much he sings going on but i'm guessing it's going to be a whole lot less as it goes on we also learn a lot about sam where the two times that he sings yes i counted out like who <laughs> say how many times who sang what but the two times sam sings the first time well first time is a drinking song but the second time he sings about gilgalad the elven king and he comes out with this because somebody says, who's is that? And then there's this silence. And then all of a sudden, Sam starts singing. And everybody just kind of looks and they're like, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. Well, Bilbo used to sing it all the time. And he taught me a lot. And he knew that I cared about elves. So he would sing these kind of things for me and help me to help me to learn. And he also, and then Sam's other notable song is the big joke song that he wrote himself. Mm -hmm. And everybody's just like, what? Coming from you? That is so random. <laughs> and, and if you skip out on the Gilgalad song, you miss out on world building mm -hmm. and in world history. Mm -hmm. yeah. Same thing with Strider's song about Baron and Luthien. Mm -hmm. He sings a few verses from the Lay of Lathian. He doesn't sing it. He just recites well, right, it. He recites. Which I, I, again, I feel like that's very evident of his character, especially at this point when his there's so much going on. But again, I want to pay attention to see if he does actually sing in the future and what kind of things that he sings. Yeah, maybe he just got a really bad voice. It's possible. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I decided... I decided to embrace the songs and the poetry this time and really pay attention to why it's in the book because it's in there for a reason. And like you said, Kyle, it just makes it a lot more fun if you decide to embrace it. Mm -hmm. Ryan, did you embrace it this time or uh, how did you feel about the poetry this time around? Honestly, not a whole lot different. I You'll have to remind us what your uh, view I, was first time around. Uh, it's, it's extra work to try and piece together. I appreciate the value of what it can lend to a character and to the story. If you can take the time to piece that out, I wasn't giving it that time. And if you don't give it that time, then it does feel like a, it feels like a road a roadblock mm -hmm. or a, just a speed bump to the story. I would say, yeah, it probably doesn't 
actively take away, but you're definitely you definitely will add to your experience. So you're if saying you if you if you skip the poetry, if you skip it. So like what Ryan's saying, he didn't he didn't give it really any extra thought other than like he skinning scamming or skimming skimming through it <laughs> and or just reading it one you know one time and just moving on down the line and that's okay it won't necessarily like completely take away from the story if you do that but it, it will guaranteed add to the story if you put in the extra effort there well it's something that does not i, I think does not come naturally to not just our generation but the this time period mm-hmm. because we don't stop to sing songs you talked about how you know we have songs in our car <laughs> or anything but this era is different in the sense that you're the the storytelling that they use to tell their stories it's not like tom bombadil's popping out and going all i do is win 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 no matter like <laughs> i hate that guy <laughs> i have friends who do that it makes me crazy i'm just saying for us i have no idea what that reference was but go on <laughs> it's okay yeah <laughs> but the thing is like for us like they are telling stories, like you say, Barry and Luthien, uh, the story of Gilgalad. It's we are getting a chance to to get deeper into the world, which we don't do that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Do you? Sorry, it were, I wasn't sure. No, if you're you, done. you can interject. Anything I say from here on out will just slowly degrade into not making okay, any coherent right. sense. Do you feel like we tell stories anymore I, in our culture at large? Yes. What kind of stories do we tell? We tell stories, but we have we have taken. Uh, the approach of what is the easiest way for our our audience to to get the story things the media of like movies and like that and obviously I love them but we don't require at its base level to tell epic stories our audience to engage to the same level that it would if you were doing it using the old oral tradition or any of uh, you know telling the Odyssey or doing that we don't require our audience to be engaged the same way because we tell them this is what the character looks like. This is what they say. This is right. what they do. This is what the world sounds like. This is what it looks like. Versus having to sit and listen and go, ah, yes, and immersing yourself in a world of partially your creation as you connect with the storyteller. We don't do that to the same extent that they used to. Do you do you think that's too bad? Or do you just feel like, oh, yeah, the world's different, whatever? There is something lost, uh, and it's a connection. It's a hu- It is a storyteller's connection. If you have ever actually sat in a room with someone who is a professional storyteller mm-hmm. and heard them tell a tale. Uh, one of my favorite uh, examples is that if you can go back, it's I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was like the Canadian Olympics. They had one of their premier storytellers come out as part of the opening ceremonies and tell the tale, this this myth that was there, and just listening to him and the way that, that it was delivered, you connected to this world in a totally different way. And I very much uh, think that we... We really shun connection these days. We crave it, but we shun it. I mean, how many times are you like, oh, I hate people. I hate yeah. people. But then you feel that kind of feeling like I, no one understands me. Either, and that's because there's no connection. And I think a, if there was a way, if you can find a way to reignite that storytelling aspect of our culture and connect with somebody that way, it is an incredibly fulfilling experience. I think, I know Megan, you and I are both performers and actors. We get that feeling sometimes on stage, like when you can connect with an audience and something just lands. Like that connection is so incredible, and we don't get that in a lot of stories these days. And you skip the songs <sighs> because I don't under I I have difficulty understanding them. 
Right. And to me, that's an argument for stopping and taking the time to understand them. See, but in a in a written form, it's difficult. If if we were listening to the audiobook, to an audiobook, or to somebody reading this, and and then they they're continuing that performance, I guess, singing, right. it it's just difficult to flip that when I'm reading just with my brain than if somebody is reading it for me. I agree, and I, this is actually something that I, in our Silmarillion reads too, I deal with this sometimes. It's it's there's a small language barrier, and it's not so much. I'm not calling myself an idiot. Okay, I, I'm by any stretch of the imagination. I know I, I don't have the same level of familiarity, but I also don't have, you're like, well, that means you should slow down and learn it. How? I don't have additional cues. I don't have additional pieces here in the text for me to, that I'm aware of. I don't know how to learn this, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of and sense. And if you don't know how to learn it or how to do that, then it becomes a yeah, piece that you I just kind of want to pass Yeah, by. I also think it's it's the evolution of, of language itself and what we've been coached and taught how to read so we're not taught how to read in verse anymore right That's true and so without taking the time and going and seeking out that education for yourself to know how to read in verse or to know what rhyme or meter you should be using when you stumble upon a poem in a page of a book that you're reading because you're reading prose and then all of a sudden it switches into verse and to megan's point you try to do that. Your brain tries to flip that switch and you, you try to either put a tune behind it or a rhythm behind it. And once that rhythm is what is disrupted because I thought you were going to say once it gets you, once it gets you, <laughs> well, once it's disrupted, it gets very jarring and it immediately pulls you out of the context of the story or the content of the story to, I can't understand necessarily what the story about Gilgalad is because my rhythm was thrown off and now I'm immediately thinking, Oh crap, how do I make this rhyme again? How do I make this feel okay again? And so you're not understanding it the way that you want to. Whereas once the rhythm is on and you get that, there is kind of that deeper connection or better, better ability to understand what the poem or what the content of the piece is trying to say. So how does someone like me, who does not appreciate these for what they can be, or who doesn't know how to do that very well, how do you learn that? How do you? How do I improve my next read so that these matter? To Craig's point, you stop and you go seek that out. So you say, how do I read meter and rhyme? How do I read poetry? Essentially, like what is the like? What are the cues? What is the what? Are, what is the rhythm of certain types of poetry? And you could start to identify that on site. Where is it iambic pentameter? Is it something else, right? Like the one I know. Yeah, the, the one I know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but once there's a rhythm to it, or once you understand that, uh, again, you can you can unlock that a little bit more. Because the the cool thing about verse and about poetry is it's not just the words on the page. Most of it is intended to invoke a feeling or a mood or something based off of the meter and rhyme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's something on a different level, um, similar to what you're getting with songs and, and things like that, where you, you actually hear the music. And a lot of times you can, you can be moved by music without lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, and in a similar vein, but not, not identical, because of the meter or rhyme of a, of a poem, there's, there's a different level of understanding mm -hmm. and, and connection. 
So I, I have this question for you too, and then we can move on off no, the poems that's or fine. whatever. I've heard a lot of criticism that these aren't good poems. Sure. Yeah. Is yeah. that I, I can't? I obviously have no place to judge this from. Is that true? No. <laughs> it, it's okay. Um, look. Tolkien had a very, and I am not a great judge of this sort of thing. I'm not a, a big consumer of poetry, and so I can't, um, I don't have a lot to compare it to, right. but I will speak to what people have said about it compared to others. So Tolkien was was writing at a time when, how should I put it, his style of poetry was not very much in vogue. Okay, it, Tolkien was very rigid with his structure, the way that he did, you know, Kyle mentioned mm -hmm. his meter. His meter was very precise. Yeah. Uh, it was not free-flowing the way that some poetry was more popular at the time. Mm -hmm. From what I, again, from what I understand, somebody can hop on Reddit and give us a little bit more of a lesson, mm -hmm. and that would be appreciated. Yeah. And I also think that a lot of his poems aren't meant to be these deep, epic ballads or things like that. Most of them are folk tales or folk songs there's that, literally like a like, tr a troll who says like a boner. Lim yeah, like a limerick, yeah. right? Or like a kind song you sing in the bathtub. Or children's, you know, nursery rhyme type of yeah. poetry. That's that's what it's intended to be. Right. But when he but when he writes something like "From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring, renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king," that's pretty good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I mean, somebody who is more quote-unquote sophisticated might go well yeah i mean those are awfully easy rhymes Ugh. yeah like i'm in sewell and ghoul yeah exactly <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah oh they're awfully easy rhymes oh what is what a simplistic uh you know rhyming pair here what a simplistic meter he's using but i think he uses them to great effect so even if he's not as sophisticated a poet as what some others might seek out if they're poetry junkies. Um, I think what he does is perfectly effective for where it is and what it's supposed to be doing. Right. And these are these are not characters who sit and read poetry all the time. These are men like they're supposed to be easy rhymes so that they can remember them so that they can sing them and continue to yep. share. Yeah. It's also, I think, important to note that the, the point of songs and poetry for a long time was to pass on history. Right. Yeah. To pass on culture and and myth right and what is he essentially doing with his entire with his entire life's work he's trying to build the mythology of middle earth and of correct me if i'm wrong craig but he was building the mythology of england right yeah in a way in a way yeah right and so to take something as old as passing on human history through that oral tradition you were talking about through song and story that's what he's trying to do. That's the drinking game for this, yeah. this episode. How many times, anytime we say oral tradition. Yes. Can I just say though, an, an interesting counterpoint to that is he does make a comment at, oh my gosh, at one point, somebody says something. Oh, Mary says, uh, when they're in the village of Bree, Mary tells the others when they go into the pub to mind your P's and Q's, which is a typesetting reference. And I read that and I was like, that's, I mean, not a lot of people would know that. That is anachronistic. Yeah, we should probably talk about that a little bit because there's another one when the uh, the dragon, the firework, uh, yes. Gandalf's fireworks, and there's a dragon, and it comes along like a freight train. Yep. Or an express train. I think it's an yep. express train. 
um, comes barreling down on the hobbits like an express yeah. train. And uh, so, you know, it's been one of those things that people have remarked on over the years. Well, yeah, he, he wasn't perfect because he puts these anachronisms in there. And uh, I liked it. The, <laughs> so the in-world explanation is that the Lord of the Rings is a translation from the Red Book of Westmarch. Interesting. And this book was written by Bilbo, Frodo, and finished up by Sam. Mm -hmm. And Tolkien finds it. You know, again, in-world mythology. He right. finds it, he translates it. And so he comes along to a phrase and he says, oh, geez, I got a scratch in his head. How do I translate that? Well, people understand what an express train is. People have heard the phrase, mind your P's and Q's. Yep. And so that's why those things are allowed to be in there. You know, I just think that's fun. Like I said, it's, yeah. it's Tolkien kind of having a little bit of a fun moment. It's like, hey, I'm still here just <laughs> in case you're paying attention. Is that a planned thing or a retcon-esque I thing? couldn't tell you. But uh, knowing knowing Tolkien and how hard he worked on this, he would not have a, a phrase like express train or mind your P's and Q's. It would not have gone unnoticed right. in the drafting process. So I would lean more toward, yeah, he meant to put it in there. He did it on purpose. And it is largely for the same reason that we have the hobbits at all, which is to give us some kind of footing in this mythological world. Speaking of which, do you guys want to hear? So I, I have a, a new segment for you on this go around oh. of okay. our read through of the Lord of the Rings. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the timeline of the writing of the book. Okay. And what was going on um, as Tolkien was writing these chapters. Uh, so I'll, I'll do this for each section because we have pretty a pretty detailed account of what was going on in Tolkien's life and uh, how he wrote these stories. I say pretty detailed and I'm looking at the 12 volume history of Middle Earth, four of which are devoted to the <laughs> writing of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so we have a pretty good chronology of what was going on with him and with the books at the time. So in uh, September 1937, The Hobbit gets published uh, and it is very successful. Uh, it's a wild wildly successful classic now but at the time even at the time it sold quite briskly so the first printing sold out really quickly and they you know, ordered a second printing and the publishers immediately came to Tolkien and said we want a sequel this is going really well we need a sequel about these hobbits and so this is you know kind of the, the germ of the Lord of the Rings right and so later that year in November about November 15th it, Tolkien has been working on the Quinta Silmarillion. This is his life's work. This is the main body of the Silmarillion as we know it. Um, and he's been working on this for quite a while. Uh, and he's been sending, actually sending manuscripts to Alan and Unwin, his publishers, of the Lay of Lathian. So we talked a little bit about that. That's the song that Aragorn sings okay, yes. about Baron and Luthien. He actually has, uh, he never finished it, but he wrote something along the lines of 3,000 um, rhyming couplets for, uh, or, you know, 3,000 lines Gosh. of this poem, this epic poem about Baron and Luthien. And he had been sending copies of this to his publisher. The publishers don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Why are you saying, nobody's going to read this. And they're 100% correct. Yep. You know, nobody was going to read that. But they were, you know, they're kind of more interested in the, uh, he sends in the little prose accompaniment. 
So just kind of explain, okay, here's what's going on in this section. Well, they'll read that. Give us more of that, please. And so, you know, so they ask him to read or to write more of Silmarillion. And he says, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So he's been working on that for a little while. Uh, but then they say, nope, we need, we need more hobbits. There's no hobbits in this. We need a sequel to the Hobbit. So he drops his work in November 20, or sorry, November, uh, yeah, 1937. He drops his work on the Silmarillion to start work on the Lord of the Rings. Um, and so he calls it his new Hobbit. And the way that he worked on it, the reason that you reminded me of that of this was kind of the versions and how many versions Tolkien went through. So are you guys familiar with, uh, with how a modern fantasy author typically writes a story these days? Somewhat. So we can take, uh, we'll take Brandon Sanderson as our reference point because he's the one we're most familiar with. Uh, he starts with an outline. He, you know, he knows where he wants to go. He, he's got everything mapped out as far as who's going to be where, what the, uh, what the conflict is, even, you know, down to the scenes. What is the, what does this character want? What does that character want? And he's going to map out every scene, uh, in every chapter, in every section of the book, probably over a whole series, although that will change, right? As things go on, but he has everything mapped out and he gets it all fact checked. And then when everything looks okay, he starts writing. Then he's going to write his prose, and then he's going to pass it off to his editorial assistant. The editorial assistant's going to take a quick look at it and say, no, you need to, you know, fix this continuity error or whatever. And that's how the book gets written. Is it Everything is planned out to a T before he ever starts writing the actual prose. Okay. Tolkien did not do it this way. Uh, he wrote everything from the beginning. So he, <laughs> and I, there's a little quote that I thought might be fun to share in the return of the shadow so this is from that uh, history of middle earth this is the part where professor craig comes out uh, to play so hope you guys are this is the part oh, yeah get out of here <laughs> uh so, you're giving ryan a hard time for star wars <laughs> he says uh <laughs> he, so he wrote a letter to uh to charles firth at his publisher alan and unwin says i've written the first chapter of a new story about hobbits a long expected party um and three days before that he had written to stanley unwin the uh, the publisher, he says, I think it is plain that a sequel or successor to The Hobbit is called for. I promise to give this thought and attention, but I'm sure you will sympathize when I say that the construction of elaborate and consistent mythology and two languages rather occupies the mind, and the Silmarils are in my heart, so that goodness knows what will happen. Mr. Baggins began as a comic tale among conventional Grimm's fairy tale dwarves and got drawn into the edge of it, so that even Sauron the Terrible peeped over the edge. Uh, so as he is getting started, he has no idea where he's going. Mm -hmm. That's my entire point with sharing that quote. He doesn't know. So he writes a, a whole version of the story up to a certain point. I think he gets to like Bree or maybe even Rivendell before he gives up and goes back and starts over. So we have four different versions of chapter one, mm -hmm. all of which are documented. So he starts chapter one, Bilbo throws a party, you know, it's kind of, we can see the germ of the idea and then it's not until version number two. So he gets all the way through version number one and then he, he gets to a certain point and says, ah, this isn't working. So he stops, files that away, never thinks about it again, and just starts again from the beginning, starting writing from the beginning. He didn't have an outline, no notes. He just goes on. The, uh, Gandalf doesn't show up until the second version. Um, and that's a version that he never actually finished, um, that version of book one. 
And then in the third version, the party is now thrown by Bilbo's son. Bilbo has a son named Bingo. Oh, no. Bingo Baggins. Uh, well, this introduces you problems. give me crap for my accent and <laughs> throw out Bingo Baggins. Bingo Baggins. Uh, it was a merry old hobbit. And so Bingo Baggins is, the, is V1 of Frodo. And that doesn't last too long, but he does last into version number four. So it goes back and starts again. And now by February 1st of the following year, so 1938, Tolkien has finished version number four in which Bingo is now Bingo Bulger Baggins. Nope. 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 Hard pass. <laughs> but he is now shot. He is now uh, Bilbo's nephew because he's like, oh, no, I, I, I can't go through the whole thing. You know, Bil did Bilbo get married? What's going on? With, you know, so yeah. it's easier if he's a nephew. Yeah. So. Anyway, it, it, so he's going through all of these versions uh, by March. So about a month later, the Black Riders first make an appearance in his notes um, in that, uh, I think it's in that fourth version, or no, it's in fifth version. Anyway, so he just, you know, version after version, he keeps rewriting and rewriting, going further and further into the story. He makes a comment at some point about how, um, in a letter he, to W.H. Auden, how would you like that as a pen pal? Hmm. Uh, he's writing it to W.H. Auden, and he says uh, that I was just as surprised as anybody to see Strider sitting in the inn at Bree. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he was doing there. And I had to figure it out just like anybody else would have, you know. So um, <laughs> anyway, so by autumn 1939, so two years, takes two years for him to finally get up to the Council of Elrond, which is oh. what we're going to kind of talk about next time. Anyway, two years because he didn't sit down and plan out his book. And some there are a lot of stories about aspiring authors who hear about this. Well, Tolkien did it that way. And so they sit down and they're I'm just gonna start writing and see where my see where my imagination goes. Shoot, that is absolutely what I was thinking just now. And it's a terrible, terrible idea. And it took him seventeen I years disagree. to write the book. I disagree <laughs> too. I think that there, are, there are many authors, probably many of which are on your shelves that are discovery writers and not outline writers. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that if you sit down with a blank piece of paper or a blank word doc that you're going to, you know, right, spew the Lord out of the Lord of the Rings. But I, I think that yeah. it, it is a very, very effective way to start a story. Maybe. But then you're going to have to stop and figure out a, an Who outline is. at some point. Yeah. So um, anyway, so yeah, he um, by the time he finishes this section, section one, it is uh, autumn 1939. Anybody else know what's going on in 1939? Let's Beginning take a break. World War II. World War II. Big deal. Yeah. yeah. September 1st, Germany invades Poland. So just kind of to give you an idea of where the world is at, where Tolkien's at, this is a big deal. His son is... Uh, of an age where he's going to have to go off to war. Um, and so... Would that be Bingo? <laughs> bingo Tolkien? Bingo Bulger they Tolkien? They just call him BB. Yeah, BB. So he... Uh, anyway, you might wonder sometimes, why in the world did it take this guy 17 years to write a freaking book? Well... Because it took Gandalf 17 years to figure out the ring was in Frodo's house. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, there's your dose of Professor Craig for the day. Hey, Ryan, you awake? How you doing over there? Uh, oh, we're still, we're still recording. Oh, my bad. Welcome back. <laughs> no, it was. It's. I I think context of the time period is actually worthwhile. Uh, 
Okay? Because it, this is absolutely a story that is informed by its time. Although it, I was thinking about this earlier, we're only so far into this, but this is already a masterpiece, right? Mm -hmm. This this series is a masterpiece. Um, when you say that we're only so far into it, but are you saying like even just book one is a masterpiece? No, no, I'm sorry. The series we know that this series is a masterpiece. It yes. has lasted as long as it has for a reason. Sure. Um, and I got to thinking. I think the first time when we first started this podcast, we tried to be like, okay, well, we're going to ask the questions. Will this be around in 50 years? Will this stand the test of time? And clearly this one has up to this point. Right. Um, but I think I, I'm curious, and it's more of a, a discussion about society than this book, as to whether or not this is timeless because of how much it is informed by by the culture and the world that is, it, it works. Because it is, yeah, what you're getting at, I think, is right over there on the shelf. I've, I've mentioned Tom Shippey on this podcast many times before. And the first book that I would recommend that anybody pick up of his is called J.R.R. Tolkien, Author of the Century. And he very purposely and says in his introduction, I did not put the author of the century on there on purpose. You can decide whether you think he's the best of the 20th century. The point is that he is an author of the century, meaning that in, in his mind, nobody encapsulated what the 20th century meant better than Tolkien did in The Lord of the Rings. Is that kind of what yes. you're getting at? I think going back to the, the discussion we had about the in-world poems and, and stories and, and songs, this is one of those in our culture. So I do believe in a hundred years you will have a, a dad or a mom telling their child a bedtime story version of The Hobbit or of Lord of the Rings, whether it's broken down into the three minute version because you're trying to get the kid to go to bed or you're sitting down and you're actually reading the Hobbit um, as a bedtime story to your child. This is something that will live on. It might get warped and changed over time, but I do think it's, it's ingrained itself so deeply in our culture as, as a, as a thread of human experience because it represents that so well that this story will be told over and over and over again, similar to something like the Iliad or or whatever whatever you want to pull out from history. It's something that people are familiar with, whether or not they've actually read it or not. Um, they there is that cultural through line. Yeah, yeah. There's there is if we want to take another classic, Dante's Inferno informs so much of what our popular imagination comes up with when we think of heaven and hell. And what those places look like and feel like and, and smell like and all that. It, it all comes from Dante's Inferno. It was mm -hmm. so influential that uh, it, it became a mythology unto itself. And this, this may be it. something similar. I, I've mentioned on a recent episode about how Star Wars is kind of our American national myth. This mm -hmm. is the thing that we all turn to, the, the thing that we all think about, the story that we tell each other over and over again. And I think the Lord of the Rings is in that sphere as well i agree i i my question is kind of what is it going to look like in that hundred years uh how is it going to be utilized and look and looked at because i was walking through a costco the other day and i looked down and they were selling hardback copies of sun tzu's the art of war in a costco i mean it's interesting yep <laughs> the this way is utah the way that what that book was written for and, and kind of its purpose is not used the same way as we do today and I'm curious if this myth, this story, mm -hmm. 
100 years from now is going to be sitting in another Costco, but being considered a slightly slightly differently than it is now. Right. I mean, I this is a little bit of a left turn, but I would look at it as any any child that has seen The Lion King has experienced Hamlet. Hamlet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? And you wouldn't know it on the face, but I I would say that this would be kind of on that level where like at at some point again, you might not recognize it immediately as Lord of the Rings, but if you or The Hobbit or whatever, but if you dig down one other steps like oh, maybe in 100 years they retell this story and it's got completely different surface level view. But that story is the Lord of the Rings. I was going to give Craig an aneurysm and say, you know, right after he dies and Disney buys the Tolkien estate <laughs> and goes through and decides to... I, I, I do hope I am dead at that point. <laughs> I, I really do. You don't want like a Splash Mordor ride in Disneyland? <laughs> oh, my dear Lord. <laughs> I, I would totally ride that ride. Craig would too. I don't know about that. I mean, this is a weird note to end the podcast on, but... <laughs> I, I'm not sure because there is a part of me that would love to go travel to New Zealand and stroll through the movie set of Hobbiton. Yep. And th- that sounds delightful, even though it's, sure, it's a commercialized, you know, ripoff version of this book that I love. But so what? That's okay. I, and the thing about, uh, you know, somebody was saying, who knows, maybe it'll be changed. Mm-hmm. I think you were saying that, Kyle. Who mm-hmm. knows? In 100 years, maybe they'll be telling a slightly warped version of it. Well... Not necessarily, because we have the text. Right. You know, thank you, printing press, 600 years ago, or whatever it was. We have texts. And sure. so it can survive things like Peter Jackson bringing the elves to Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. I know, it but can we also survive. have the text for Frankenstein, and everybody thinks that Frankenstein is the monster, so... I was like, I can throw a real wrench in this one and say, we have the Bible. <laughs> we have the text for We Hamlet. have the text. <laughs> See, now who's comparing it to scripture, Ryan? <laughs> Just uh. saying. Interpretation of text. You may have the text, but interpretation. And it, it will be sure. in 100 years when whatever version of the podcast, the, the hollow cast is being done by yes. by this group. And they're going to be interpreting it slightly different because of their... That will be us, their by the way. Oh, man. Well, I'll be yeah. robot people. By then, they'll have gone through the singularity, and Craig's mind will be in a robot, and mine will be in a robot, and we'll just be <laughs> ooh, robot death wars. <laughs> this, this we we like took a very idea. dark turn. It started as a Disney theme park, and now we're robots killing each other. I think this is a great. I mean, that for sounds episode. about like a Disney theme park. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> let's let's this wrap is, this, this up. Shall we? Just this sell me a churro and end this. <laughs> let's get the hell out of here before we do any more damage to the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so next time we're going to talk about book two, maybe, kind of ish. Did we talk about book one in this one? Not yeah, really. We totally moments. did. A bit. A bit. So uh, I hope that people will stick around for that. Uh, it's going to be the Council of Elrond getting down to uh, where? Around uh, uh, Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. Get, get through book two. Well, past Lothlorien. Anyway, point being, we will get to that uh, on the next episode of this. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll even organize our thoughts beforehand. Nope. I make no promises. All right, thanks for listening, Token everybody. Didn't do it. Why should I? Yeah, <laughs> go to this hey, is Discovery Podcasting. Go to Patreon.com/slash/Legendarium. <laughs> if you made it all the way to this point, then you know, give us money. I guess. <laughs> Join the conversation at thelegendarium.reddit.com. You can also check us out on Discord. Either place is a wonderful, acceptable place for a conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining, everybody. We'll see you next time.